Today, I want to share with you a call to global missions, Psalm 67. You know, as I look at our church, I'm still amazed at how God has blessed our church. And even during COVID-19, you know, we have upgraded our facility, increased our online capability, expanded the outdoor Wi-Fi connections and sound system and lighting. I think it's because of COVID-19. And, and we have also erected a new building, Hope Center, where we are worshiping right here. Brand new. Our giving has been stable. Our members have been coming back for in-person worship. And God has brought seekers and visitors to our church. And we are also experiencing a baby boom, of course. Ministries are pressing on. God has led us to reach out to elementary school, high school, and college around us that we haven't been doing for quite a long time. It's truly amazing. But have you ever paused to ask why? Why is God blessing us? And today in Psalm 67, when you read it together with me, you will see that God blesses His people abundantly so that they can bless the nations generously. God blesses His people abundantly so that they can bless the nations generously. So I'm going to invite you to read together with me Psalm 67. Would you stand together with me and read God's Word together? A short psalm. Let's read together. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Amen. You may be seated. And let me give a brief analysis of the psalm before I go into expounding the scriptures. The psalm has a global outlook. As you read the psalm, you discover that the words like nations and earth and peoples has been repeated quite a few times. For example, the word nations has been repeated three times. In verse 3, it says, Your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Verse 4 says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And towards the end, it says, With equity and guide the nations upon earth. And the word earth has been repeated four times in verses 2 and 4 and 6 and 7. In, in 2, it says that your way may be known on earth. In verse 4, it says, guide the nations upon earth. Verse 6 says, the earth has yielded its increase. And verse 7 says, let all the ends of the earth fear Him. And the word people has been repeated five times. And in verse 3, it says, let the peoples praise you, O Lord. Let all the peoples praise you. And verse 4 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, and you judge the peoples with equity. And again in verse 5, it says, let all the peoples praise you, and let the people praise you. Definitely, this psalm has a global outlook. But this psalm has also a refrain, a chorus in a song. Uh, the chorus is, re is repeated in verse 3 and verse 5 with the same Exactly the same word. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And you know the function of a refrain in a psalm, in a song, is to highlight the main point. And that's why a refrain is often repeated in a song after you sing each stanzas so that you get the main point. 
And the main point is, God desires to bless His people so that through them, the whole world will praise Him. So why is God blessing us? Why is God blessing us? Verses 1 to 3 tells us that God is blessing us because He wants to reveal God's way and salvation to the nations. To reveal God's way and salvation to the nations. The scripture says, May the Lord, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. And let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And God's heart is for the nations, for global, where people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And God's heart for the nation is based on the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And you're familiar with that passage. Let me just read to you. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. And it says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in that Abrahamic covenant, it is a global perspective that God has. His desire is for the whole creation, especially the people, to come to the saving knowledge of Him. See, oftentimes we begin the global missions the global Christianity with the Great Commission. And rightly so, because Jesus gave that to His disciples. Go and make disciples. The key is to make disciples by going and by baptizing them and by teaching them God's Word until He comes. But the Great Commission doesn't start in Matthew 28. It begins actually in Genesis 12, in the Abrahamic Covenant. So spanning over thousands of years, Global missions continue to press on from Genesis 12, from the, uh, from the Abrahamic covenant, into Psalm 67 that we, that we shall expound this morning, and then to Matthew 28. God's heart is for the nations, for the people to come to the saving knowledge of Him. Verse 1 tells us three things about God. First of all, God's grace. May God be gracious to us. It reminds us that the basis of His blessing is the undeserved favor from God to us. It talks about God's blessing. It reminds us that He is the source of all good things. You know, we used to sing the doxology, even though we don't sing it anymore. And you'll remember the first stanza. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. He's the source of all blessings. We see God's grace, God's blessing, and also God's face and make his face to shine upon us. When we talk about face, God's face in the Bible, it talks about a personal presence and fellowship with us. God's personal presence and fellowship with us. To remind us that we receive favor from God so that we can bless the nations. And God's salvation is extended to and included other nations. And in verse 2, he says, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. 
the nations shall know and experience the salvation of God. By observing God's blessing on His people, the nations shall acknowledge God's sovereignty and confess Israel's God as their God. How? By God's way. By God's way, that your way may be known on the earth. God's way is God's plan of salvation for all nations. And it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ because Christ is the way. And you remember in the book of Acts, the disciples are described as those who follow the way. That's follow Christ. Not only by God's way, but also by God's salvation. And God's salvation is possible only by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and verse 3 just sum it in a way to show us the blessing. It is a global blessing, a worldwide blessing. To all nations, it results in praises globally that all the people shall praise you. And our question naturally is, as we relate this passage to us and ask, who should reveal God's way and salvation to the nations? And naturally, us, we, the church, and we, the churches in the United States. But remember, for many years, the West has been on the forefront of the global mission movement. But today, the global mission looks very different because the center of gravity of Christianity has shifted from the global north to the global south. Sometime around 70s and 80s, it has shifted. It is well known in the mission field. It is well known in the mission arena, but sometimes churches do not hear that because we don't often preach about that. See, in 1900, only 18% of all Christians lived in the global south. When we say global south, that includes Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Pacific Islanders. That's the global south. 18%. And 82% lives in the global north. When we say global north, that includes Europe, North America. But by 2020, a few years ago, by 2020, fully 67% of all Christians were in the global south, with only 33% in the global north. And you can see that decline very vividly. And it is predicted that by 2050, 30 years later, we anticipate that 77% of all Christians will live in the global south. That's truly amazing. The center of the gravity of Christianity has shifted to the south. And they tend to be conservative in theology, they tend to be conservative in moral issues, and they are strong in evangelism and missions. That's the global south. And they are the force to be countered when the global north are moving into such a liberal agenda, when the global north churches are compromising the biblical truth, the global south, the majority of Christianity are actually countering that and become a force to be reckoned with. The countries that used to send up missionaries are in decline, including U.S. More missionaries are sent from the global south 
than missionaries from the global north. It's a whole new different picture now when we talk about missionaries. That picture that we are so used to, uh, usually typically European white man wearing a hat and walking in the jungle in Africa, that stereotype missionary is changed completely into Asian face, darker skin color, and they look very different. These are the missionaries today. Now, the Global North are still trying to work as hard as we can to send up missionaries, but the South are picking up and they are catching, and we are grateful for that. And they are impacting the post-Christian Europe in a major way, and including post-Christian America. We just don't hear about that. For example, Christians from Africa, Asia, and Latin America, they are impacting Denmark, a post-Christian, secular, European country, despite the claim to be a Christian country, uh, with the Lutheran, evangelical Lutherans as the main faith, and many people claim uh, affiliation with that, but in fact, not many people go to church anymore. Immigrants have started more than 150 churches in Denmark. That's about 20 years ago from this report. These churches not only minister to foreign-born residents, to the immigrants, but increasingly to the native Danes as well. They are reaching to the locals. It is a reverse mission. They used to send out people overseas to Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Now they are going back and be a missionary to them. That's truly amazing. A local Lutheran pastor of Denmark called the immigrant church, uh, Christian churches a gift to our Danish Lutheran church that helps Danes understand how Christians are supposed to live because they don't remember anymore. Another Christian leader comment that Denmark needs these immigrant churches because they are bringing a message that we have forgotten. They have forsaken their faith, embracing secularism, and embracing materialism. But these immigrant churches, these missionaries from the South, are reminding them of their root and trying to reach out to them. Now, what is happening in Denmark is only a small part of a larger trend. Churches in countries such as Nigeria, can you imagine that, Nigeria, Ghana, South Korea, and the Philippines have sent thousands of missionaries to Europe, to Middle East, and to other parts of the world to set up churches in homes, in office buildings, and storefronts. It has shifted. It's not the same anymore. Those who reveal God's way and salvation to the nations, as we often thought would be us and European countries and those who have been strong forces in missions, are being compensated in a major way by the global south. And we are grateful for that partnership, working together for the glory of God. And at FCBC Walnut Church, we are our Chinese heritage church where immigrants and second-generation coexist for the gospel. It is imperative that by the indwelling Holy Spirit, we must guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us, to the next generation, 
and to the next generation and keep our faith. But more than that, we are blessed to be a blessing to our community, to our neighbors, but also to all nations. And that's why, that's why our vision statement reminds us that we want to be a vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally. We are far from there, but at least locally, we have planted the church in Acadia, and we still hope to plant another church soon, somewhere in the east or somewhere there's a need there. While we plant the churches locally, but our hearts must be also global because God bless us so that we can be a blessing to the nations. God bless us to reveal God's way and salvation to the nation. And secondly, what is God blessing us? God is blessing us to rejoice in God's rule and guidance for the nations. Verses 4 and 5. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you. O God, let all the peoples praise you. You notice that I didn't read that word sila. Some of the Bibles have that, sila. And scholars have different opinions about what is that, you know, sila. That is not really part of the, uh, the, the words there, but it is being placed there for what purpose? Most scholars will say, well, that is a time to pause and reflect. The writer wants you to think deeply and not rush through the reading of the whole scriptures, as sila. Before, let the people praise you, and O oh God, let all the people praise you. And this part reminds us that by God's just rule and guidance, the nations are held in check. And by His guidance, all are assured of His blessing, and for that, the nation rejoice. You know, John Piper reminds us that when the judgment of the nation comes, God will not be partial. No one will be condemned for the color of his skin, of the size of his brain, or the place of his birth, or the quality of his ancestry. All the peoples of the earth will stand on an equal footing with Israel when it comes to judgment. The standard of justice will be the same for both. If a person has embraced Christ as his only hope before God, he will be safe. If he has not, he will be lost. God will be just. And because God rules justly, all nations look to Him for guidance. So verse 5 again reminds us that God's rule and guides provide a framework and boundary to enjoy God and to live life fully as our Creator, bringing much joy and praises, and it results in praises globally. And all the people praise you. That's the reason why God has blessed us. But our nation has not been rejoicing in God's rule and guidance, right? As we come to where we are today, we don't see our nation as a whole has been rejoicing in God's rule and guidance because we are pushing back in open defiance against God's teaching. And we experience that we've seen that in many ways in so many days now. Our nation is falling into secularism and post-Christian culture very speedily, though different speed and different states, but nevertheless, speedily. And it doesn't seem to be any way to revert that. Americans have been angry with God, disappointed with pastors, 
fed up with the church. And to that, we must repent because much of that is our own making. As a church, we must confess. We must repent from that. But there is also sinful defiance against God in our nation. We are seeing increasing biblical illiterate terms like the gospel, the cross, Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, substitutional atonement, a foreign language to our people. They don't understand what it means anymore. And that's the culture that we are living in today. We need to be a missionary to our nation in a post-Christian America. As a church, as a church, we need to be a missionary and have a missionary mindset to our nation as we continue to obey the Great Commission to make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching them God's Word. Pastor Brian Loveland says, we need to learn from the missionaries how to do evangelism, how to reach out to our community as Americans. He says, first of all, expect confusion, disinterest, and hostility. It is expected that people push us back, that people don't like us. It is expected in the post-Christian era, just like missionaries going to a foreign land, and because they look so different, they talk so different, they have different values, people tend to not receive them, and they reject them, and sometimes even persecute them. The Bible tells us that there is no natural understanding, interest, or love for the gospel among non-Christians, Brian says. Foreign missionaries know this, which is why they are careful not to assume a shared understanding or agreement simply because of shared terminology. The word God means very different for us in this church and for a post-Christian era, kind of a secular individual in our nation. They still mention God, but the whole concept and understanding is vastly different from the biblical understanding of who is God. And for many of them, it's just a spirit. It's a force like Star Wars. May the force be with you. It's something out there that I don't care and I don't want to relate to. And maybe they believe that the world is created, but it's created by a force. And in this matter, we must remember the Apostle Peter's word to missionary minorities living in the front land. Pastor Brian says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. It's expected. It's happening. In other words, we've got to shift our expectation. It's not the same anymore. And Pastor Brian says, secondly, not only expect confusion, disinterest, and hostility, he says, secondly, you need to emulate cross-cultural strategies for missions. And, and what is the cross-cultural strategies? Three strategies. First of all, enter into the world of non-Christians in a particular context in order to understand them, connect with them, and develop an ability to communicate clearly with them. You need to enter into their world. 
And just because we are all Americans, though of different ethnic groups, doesn't mean that we speak the same language. We understand each other. We need to go as a missionary, as if this is a foreign land. As we go outside there, it's a foreign land, foreign language. We need to hear, we need to listen, we need to communicate and to understand. The second strategy is you need to love the people wherever they live. And this is so essential. Because it is so different now, so we don't like it. And we know where we stand, so we lash back at them too. We judge them easily. And of course, when we lash at them, they push back as well. And we just stand on both sides of the river, screaming and shouting at each other, and there is no commonality, there is no bridge where we can say, let's talk about the gospel, let's talk about Jesus Christ. I want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to, hear, I don't want to know about the gospel. You guys are too angry. They could never be effective in sharing the gospel with people they would rather God judge. Like Jonah chapter 4, remember, we just preached in September. And in a similar way, Brian says, it will be hard for us to reach post-Christian America if we keep blasting our neighbors with gospel instead of beginning with the gospel. A new heart comes before a new life. You need to emulate that cross-cultural strategies for mission. To enter into the world, to love the people, and be able to go to where people are. Go to where the people are instead of expecting people to come to them. You need to go to where they are. You can sit here and wait. He says in America, this means we must abandon the feel of dreams approach. Remember that movie? You build, they will come. We must abandon that approach as a strategy for reaching non-Christians. But when it comes to church buildings or programs, if you build it, they won't come. In the old days, they may come, but in the post-Christian era, they would not come because they don't care. So what? The vast majority of non-Christians in America will not check out your church plan because you have a cool website. They have cooler website, more entertaining, more fun. <laughs> Pastor Brian says the only fish you will catch with that strategy are actually disgruntled sheep. That means from other churches. So different now, right? But you need to embrace the new mindset in order to connect to the new reality of a post-Christian world as we live in here. Expect confusion, disinterest, and hostility. You need to emulate cross-cultural strategies for mission. And thirdly, you need to embrace the counter-cultural life of the church. Yes, it is a challenge. Yes, it is difficult as we live in a post-Christian era. But we still need to embrace the counter-cultural life of the church. We still need to obey the truth. The church life together should be a counter-cultural expression of the gospel's power and effects. They need to see the difference. They need to see that the gospel actually works. In other words, the gospel produces communities of people whose 
corporate life together is simultaneously offensive in its distinctness and yet winsome in its love for the world. It is simultaneously offensive in its distinctness because we don't agree with the values, because we don't agree with the directions that they are going, and we say no to the invitation, we say no to a lot of the practices, and they don't like it because they want you to be a part of them. And you become an oddball, you stand out, and of course you get persecution. You will face that when you embrace the counter-cultural life of the church. Yes, we stand for truth, and yet winsome in its love for the world. You need to stand from truth. Sometimes we only stand from truth, and we, we, we just point our fingers at the other side and say, destruction, hopeless, darkness, unbiblical. That's all we do. That's all we know. But Pastor Brian reminds us that we must have winsome in its love for the world. As light of the world, as salt of the world that Jesus reminds us in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And only through that love, they begin to see Jesus. Only through that love, they begin to talk to us. Only through that love, they begin to see genuineness of this evangelical church who cares about people who are different from them. And it reminds us that we must also be a community of grace and truth in a context of moralistic relativism, holding firm to both the truth of God's word and the glory of God's forgiveness. And sometimes it's a Bible church like us who cares about preaching, who really stands strong in the inerrant word of God. That's something that we really need to learn because we have not talked enough about love and forgiveness. We enjoy the forgiveness of God, amazing grace of God, all the time but we didn't extend that forgiveness to others as if we have the exclusive rights of the forgiveness of God once we become children of God and embrace into the family of God. That's something that we need to repent from. And finally, Pastor Brian says, we must be a community full of love and hope in a society increasingly filled by rage and fear. Rage and fear is what we are experiencing today. Increasingly, as we move into a midterm election. And we expect that, we anticipate that as we move into a presidential election in two years' time. Because fear and rage is a great political strategy to get votes. And oftentimes, for many Asians, we, caught, we are caught in the middle. We expect that. But be a community full of love and hope, nevertheless. Be a community full of grace and truth, nevertheless. That's the reality that we are living in, but Jesus is stronger. God is stronger. We have the gospel. 
and we need to come together and embrace the countercultural life of the church. Church, as we come together to reflect on the global missions, as we come together to reflect on what it means to be a, a Bible church, an evangelical church, a Southern Baptist church in this nation, we need to live with that reality. But we have hope in Christ. We have hope in the gospel. That's why God is blessing us, that we can bless our neighbors and bless the nations. And finally, verses 6 to 7, why is God blessing us? God is blessing us to revere in God's goodness for the nations. To revere in God's goodness for the nations. Verses 6 and 7, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Truly amazing. The immediate blessing in view is the way God has provided all the material needs of His people. God's common grace. He created this world and all that to sustain life in this world. And He gives it to those who believe in Him and those who hate Him, those who curse Him. He still showers the rain on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday for all to enjoy. There's no discrimination. If you hate me, the rain will only fall in the houses of Christians and it will not fall on you. The sunshine will only shine on the righteous ones, on the Christians, and not on non-Christians. God's common grace is to sustain life for all the people. The earth has yielded its increase in verse 6 says. And they experience that. And the amazing thing in verse, in, in Psalm 67 is that the entire focus is not on material blessing for the world, but spiritual ones. The blessing is God Himself. That's the greatest blessing. Verse 1 says, O Lord, let your way be known. God blesses with His way. Verse 1 says, let our salvation be known. God wants to deliver and save His creatures and His creation. Verse 3 says, Let's praise rise to you from all the peoples. God received our worship. God receives our adoration, and He's pleased with that as we worship Him today. Verse 4 says, Let joy overflow from the hearts of the nations because of all the blessings. Naturally, we begin to reciprocate. We begin to respond with joy of a wonderful world, of a wonderful God. And verse 4 again says, Show yourself a righteous judge and a powerful guide. That's God's blessing to us. Someone says He blesses His church with riches for the sake of reaching the nations. He gives a bountiful wheat harvest in the field for the sake of a bountiful world harvest in the soul of individuals. God gives so that they can reap and enjoy God's blessing. He gives our church more than we need so that we can meet the world's greatest need, the need to know God through Jesus Christ. That's why He blesses us. And this is the thrust of the psalm. We are blessed to be a blessing. And of course, that means we are spiritually blessed. But in the psalm, the Lord has something more specifically to say, specifically to the church. I have blessed you with 
unprecedented and overflowing wealth bless the nations. That means as the church of Jesus Christ, our eyes must be beyond what's around us. Our eyes must be beyond what is outside the four walls of the church, the immediate neighborhood, the immediate communities around us. Our eyes must be beyond that and to see God's heart is for the nations. I know it's kind of far-fetched. I know it's, we haven't even started there. We're just pretty much supporting some missionaries in a foreign land, but not really connected as well. And we want to do more of that. But ultimately, that will be God's heart for us. So my main point for the message today, the message today is God blesses His people abundantly so that they can bless the nations generously. And that's why God has been so, so abundant with us. And truly, we are recipients of God's blessing. As I wrap up this message, I just want to remind you to pray together for our involvement in global missions. Our church vision, our, our, our mission strategies is to focus on five mission partners. We have been supporting different missionaries and different agencies. We've been supporting about 18 to 20 long-term missionaries. But we are moving away from 18 missionaries slowly by embracing, focusing on five mission partners. Because we want to develop a stronger relationship with the mission field. Because we want our people to bless the mission field. You see, right now, with the 18 missionaries and short-term missions in the summer, missions engagement pretty much stay within a group of about 70, 80 people. YSMP, missions to Taiwan, missions to other places, pretty much the same people has been going, and we are grateful for them. But you know what? Ultimately, mission belongs to the whole church. And we believe that by moving into a mission partnership with some individuals and focus on this five, we want to mobilize more of the ground to be a part of that mission field, especially those who are professionals <coughs> in our church, teachers, those who are in education, those who are in IT technology, engineers to dig wells for a certain community, build houses, medical professions to care for the locals and implement public health practices, business owners to teach tent maker missionaries, the self-supporting missionaries, to build a small business in a foreign land, to be self-sustaining for them to continue the mission works. And in that way, more of our people can be a part of global missions. See, oftentimes when we talk about global missions, what crosses your mind is like, oh, the pastors will go, the deacons will go, the, the mature Christians will go, those with a heart for missions will go, but we want everybody to go. We want everybody to go together for the global missions, one step at a time, one step at a time. By using God-given training in your profession to bless the mission field. And some of you thought that, you know, mission field are those people who are strong in Bible study, strong in evangelism, and they can be a part of that. But no, no, no. 
whatever God has given you, we want that to be a part of global missions as we work together to be a blessing to the nations. Not only that, we are also focusing locally. Mission is not just global because God has brought the world to the United States, especially in the Los Angeles area. We have nationalities from over 130 countries living within L.A. County, L.A. area. So we want to work locally as well. And, and Pastor Wilson, who is sitting in the mission board of our church, is looking at how our church can serve the, the refugees, the refugees among us in L.A. area, maybe in San Diego, and how our church can be a blessing of that. See, in that way, more of us can go, because if I have to take vacation two weeks in a year to fly 10, 15 hours to a foreign land, it's not always viable for many of us. But if mission is happening locally as well, then most of us can be a part of that. It's just like our Cantonese congregation. They are reaching out to the retiree community through ping-pong activities, and they are drawing 70 to 80 unbelievers every week on Tuesday and Thursday to play ping-pong. And some of them begin to come to our church. And, and we have opportunity to share the gospel with them on a weekly basis. And that's truly amazing. Missions happening locally. You know, I just want to remind our church that God's world is bigger than FCBC Walnut. You know, it's natural for our church to think our church is the center. Our church is the center of all God's work. And in some ways, God is working in our midst. Of course, we experience that. But God's world is bigger than FCBC Walnut. God's church is bigger than our church. God has built His churches amazingly, thousands upon thousands in the global south, much more than the global north. And we need to have a kingdom mindset together as we engage global missions and to live in this pro-Christian era and to be faithful in responding to God's great commission. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your reminder, the reminder that, that the universal church is much bigger than our church and that we are only one of the many, many millions of churches around the world and we are grateful for that. But we are, we are receiving so much blessing from you in so many ways, in resources, in individuals, in gifted individuals, in resources that, that we want to share and to give and to bless the nations as you have instructed us. So God, I pray that this message will plant seeds in our mind, in our hearts, and get us ready when you call us to go to the nations. And Father, we wait for your time and we wait for what you will open up for us, the open door for us. And I pray that, Lord, we will respond accordingly as a church together as we share God's desire to bless the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.